Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on our FM station in New York, and our two fantastic Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Great show today. We'll start by talking to Tim Pervizi, owner of Heirloom in Doylestown, PA, an awesome restaurant. And then we will end the show with a great interview with the owners of Kelly's Bakery in Poughkeepsie, New York. Amorous Pollock, introduce your fantastic guest. Hi, I'd like to introduce everybody to Tim Pervizi, who has Heirloom, which is in Doylestown, PA. Tim, thank you for joining us on our show. <laughs> so um, you have quite the history in the culinary world and like your alma maters and, you know, You've studied under James Beard Award winners and, you know, helped uh, helped somebody who is a best of in your area, you know, open up their restaurant. And, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history, how you got into the culinary world, including when you were 16, just as a busboy? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up uh, in actually not far away from Poughkeepsie in Rhinebeck, New York, um, which I was very fortunate to have grown up in um, and being introduced to the restaurants in that area. The CIA was, Culinary Institute of America was the neighboring town over. So there was a lot of good chefs and cooks that just stayed in that area um, and opened up restaurants that were great quality. So getting exposed to the industry in the beginning, I was fortunate to get exposed to folks that were doing things the right way, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, starting out, I guess if you, if you go to the real beginning, I was 14 and making uh, breakfast sandwiches at the little deli at the corner from my house. It Aww. was a deli inside of a gas station. And uh, that was the first time I ever uh, was serving people food and feeding them. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun, but you're 14, so it's just a little job. So my first real restaurant job was at the Beekman Arms in, uh, in the center of Rhinebeck. And that was where uh, the seed was planted, I think, for me. Um, walking into that kitchen, even as a busboy, learning the hierarchy and I think more so the subculture or the, su yeah, I guess the subculture is the right word for it is what drew me to what was going on the most. And then kind of peeling that onion and seeing what was going on back there amazed me, you know, yeah. um, kind of hooked me from the beginning and uh, took off from there and just put my head down, started working, tried college for a bit, but. That was just to try to make the parents happy. I <laughs> like, like not a culinary institute, but uh, not yet. No, yeah. I tried to do the thing. You know, they 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 did their part. I mean, my father worked in the industry, corporate end of the industry. You know, doing baking, um, and I think that, uh, you know, he did what he was supposed to do and try to veer me to something where you sit down for a living and the I, nine to five job. Yeah, and that wasn't really that wasn't really for me. So. Shed. You fell in love with the kitchen at an early age. Yeah, you know, there's those, there's those little snapshot moments in everyone's life where you just kind of have them emblazoned into your memory. And for me, it was that 
that door, that double way door with the porthole mirror in it going back to the kitchen, that thing swinging open. And there was, uh, I'll never forget one particular cook. His name was Radimus and he was the first cook I laid eyes on. And this guy just looked like the equivalent of Mick Jagger to me. <laughs> you know, he had this wild hair bandana and was just rocking on the line. And I just kind of froze. I was a musician, you know, at that time learning music and getting into the punk rock scene and stuff. So, so you were like highly intimidated on that. Yeah. And it was just, I wanted to be that, <laughs> you know, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, that's the person I want to emulate right there. And Tried to sniff around the kitchen as much as I could and eventually got a couple chances to get back there and get a taste of it. So that's kind of where it all kicked off for me. That's pretty cool. You you don't, you know, you don't have the long Mick Jagger hair. Though. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. You have your own special look right now. Sure. I think I look more like I should be pulling some food out of the ground. I think I'm a little overtired. Got a couple kids at home. So this is actually a reprieve. I feel bad for my wife who's got them both right now. <laughs> and your wife is one of your co-owners of Heirloom yeah, too, right? Yeah, we do it together. It's a family-run business. She's uh, equal parts and does all the stuff that uh, allows me to focus on the cooking and the food and the service. So, so um, while you were at Culinary Institute, what were the flavors and ingredients like through then and through um, when you were over in the Pacific like area that influenced what you're creating now? Um, that's a interesting question. Actually. <laughs> that's that's tough. I don't really I think I, I'm, I'm, I think the biggest uh, takeaway from culinary school for me was uh, getting introduced to the culture of a professional kitchen in a professional environment um and it, it was the same effect i i i think what's interesting in, in my respect i don't know actually a lot of other chefs and what drew them i think we all have varied reasons i don't have that story of you know i was on a step stool helping my grandma stir this <laughs> sauce and i knew you know it wasn't that for me it um, was your mick jagger moment no. you know it was the culture that drew me in and, and walking into the cia um you know, look, culinary schools are like anything else in life. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You know, um, you can expose a lot of students and a lot of young cooks to a lot of great things. It's up to them how seriously they want to take it and what they want to do with that information. And for me, it's just kind of, you know, it blew my mind to see all of that and what was going on. Um, and so I just focused really, really hard at that time on fitting in, you know, of learning what they had to offer and teach me um, before they just kind of kick you in the butt and send you out there. <laughs> um, and part of that process was doing an intern or an externship is what they call it at the CIA, which I still don't actually know the difference between an internship and an externship. Didn't really ask that question. Um, and I got to work out in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and uh, ultimately went back out there because I was offered a sous chef position for when I graduated. Um, and that was a chance for me to travel and um, get exposed to something outside of that little bubble in upstate New York I grew up in. And uh, being out there was, you know, that was another, that was another kind of life altering experience for me. And what it was, was not so much the focus on particular ingredients or flavors, which I think was the original question yeah. before I started rambling. Um, it, it was more so the, the philosophy and the ethos behind 
what you're doing with your food. And this is, you know, this is way before the term farm to table ever became a thing. I think it was just starting to kind of be a thing. Mm -hmm. And what I learned out there was that 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 wasn't, especially in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, the culture out there with food was that they were using sustainable and local products is just a way of life. A lot of those chefs and those cooks out there, that's a lot of like, you know, hippie culture and remnants of it. And that to me was a lot of fun. That's where I got exposed to looking at ingredients and and products and the process of it um, rather than trying to, you know, do something cool, quote unquote, you know. And that's that's when you you, you embraced how special everything that you had was. Um, That's kind of when that seed was planted was early on there. And um, and that that also, you know, you bring locally sourced foods and, and, you know, from different farms. And I mean, not to beat the term, but you are definitely a farm to table uh, restaurant. Yeah. And so that influence was probably huge for you. Yeah, it was it was a huge influence. And. You know, that that led to uh, when I was there, um, actually, when I was in culinary school is when I started. I don't know now because I, I have I've fallen off from it. But I, I used to get the New York Times every Wednesday morning because that's when the restaurant review would come out. And you'd get this piece of literature that would tell you what was going on in the mecca of the cities as far as being a New Yorker yeah. and in the East Coast, in my opinion. <clears throat> I know I'm in Philly, but... Well, I mean, it, New York anyway. is the mecca of, yeah. of restaurants. So, so I used to get the, the New York Times every Wednesday morning and read Frank Bruni's reviews. And um, after some time out there, about a year and a half or so, um, you know, the sh- one of my first mentor chefs was like, I'm turning to him going, what should I do next? You know, should I stay here and kind of commit to where I am and, you know, this area or what should I do? And he was like, well, dude, you, you rant and rave about restaurants in, in New York all the time. You religiously read that newspaper on Wednesdays. I say you pack your things and you go head over there and yeah. go do it, you know? And I was like, okay. So I just kind of packed up my stuff and drove cross country and went into, uh, Went into it head first without a lot of thinking. With, uh, I think it's Eska, right? Eska, yeah. I, I, I uh, ended up at Eska. I, I did a couple uh, stints at a couple other places in the beginning. Um, and, you know, one of them was at Craft. Uh, the, f- the first restaurant that I worked at in New York um, that was, you know, one of those acclaimed places. Because my whole thing was I, I only want to work. <laughs> I'm so stupid. But... I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, but I was you were like, making a name I only want to work at, yeah, I was, I was trying to gain experience. And for me, it was like, if they don't have any like three stars or more from the New York Times, <laughs> I'm here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to just get exposed to these kitchens and, you know, these chefs and what they're doing. So uh, I got a job at Kraft, and I ended up having to leave uh, earlier than I wanted to uh, just because... I got sucked into some scam with uh, my apartment and we put a down payment on, lost all the money and I was making (laughs) nothing. So I had to do something to make some cash to get a place to live. But walking in the kitchen, a craft was like, you know, I thought I knew what kitchens were at that point. You know, I'm like 21 years old or something. And And uh, this was like a well-steamed engine. Yeah, this this was like the Navy SEALs, you know. (laughs) I think they had a Michelin star at the time, too. So it was like, bam, you just got thrown into it. But um, you fell in love right away. And so, yeah, ended up at Esca. Um, I read a book. I think it was called uh, Heat. Um, 
and it was about Mario Batali um, mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, I know he's gone through some I controversial know, I stuff. Right. I shouldn't even have said that name. Like, <laughs> it's an atomic name. <laughs> I know, and that's, he, you who shall not be named. That sucks, I know, for me being like, that yeah, was like one of his restaurants was no, like one I of mean, the gems draw, in my... Yeah, yeah, at the time he didn't sure, have that. Sure, and I didn't know anything about him, and I yeah. read this book, um, and uh, it was just, I had no, I just thought he was like an Emerald Lagasse TV personality guy. I didn't really give it much thought, and... I, after that, it was like this insatiable, like reading about him and Italian food and, you know, went online one night and saw that Esca was looking for cooks and they, you know, that restaurant, unfortunately, they've had to shut down, you know, Dave, the chef was, is looking for a new location, but that restaurant does fish. You know, I think we had like two dishes on the menu that weren't fish or seafood. So (laughs) Southern Italy and focused on those coastal those regions. Healthy, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the most intimidating things that, uh, for me at that time was cooking fish, you know, and I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with it. So I said, great, I get to learn a cuisine I don't know a lot about yeah. and learn some techniques about things I don't know a lot about. And uh, walking in there was, that was life changing. You know, the, the year plus that I spent in that kitchen for me kind of, there's, there's, Every week there are still things I take away from my experience in that kitchen, you know, which was, it was just chock full of so many things to learn from on so many levels. Now, speaking of learning from things, one thing that popped up in my mind, uh, that popped up when I was, you know, searching for information on you. Oh, gosh. Um, That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> like the CIA. <laughs> yeah. Um, you worked under a uh, Jeremy McMillan. Yeah, Jeremy. And at Richard Gere's property. Yeah, yeah. I was oh, like, wow. yeah, That's I where was... I met my wife. How oh, about see, that? there yeah. you go. It's a big, big, big place there. Yeah. So that uh, I did my time in New York. Um, I met uh, Jeremy working for Missy Robbins, um, who had an equally, you know, m- huge influence on me. And and you know, working for her, one, it was the second female chef I'd ever you know worked for, um, it, which to me was just that 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 drew me big time for a lot of reasons yeah, it's a male dominated industry especially yeah. at that time very machismo um and you know going from an intense male chef to to going to missy who just got to new york uh at that time uh opening a voce uh at columbus circle um taking she took over for andrew carmelini that was just like such an exciting experience and um, those things I remember vividly and her chef de cuisine at the time was, uh, Jeremy and we first met there. Um, and in a roundabout way, we reconnected in Westchester when, uh, he shot me a text and was like, Hey, I'm running this restaurant that's owned by Richard Gere. Need a sous chef. Are you in the area? Cause I know you're kind of from upstate New York. He's from Arizona. So he wasn't sure how that all worked. Westchester compared to Dutchess County. Ironically um, enough, they wanted me to be in Pretty Woman. I said, "No, give it to Richard. Yeah, let him do it. Let him." Do <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, don't know yeah, why. I, I said, uh, eh, "Go ahead." I think they missed the boat. I think they missed the boat on that call. Well, I mean, Jean Jean would like fall down and like cater to her every you know culinary <laughs> desire yeah. if yeah. given the strawberries and champagne. Moment. Yeah. I just have a quick question. I'm sure. fascinated with your restaurant. Uh, what right. do you think your your fastball is? What is uh, the go to? We're 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 a brunch restaurant, for, right? So, what's your favorite? Primarily. What's your favorite item? Oh my! What's favorite. your most popular item? Our too? most popular item is our eggs Benedict, nice. um, which I think is kind of par for the course for most places that serve brunch. But sure. we take a lot of pride in it. It's a little bit different than uh, 
you know, the traditional eggs benedict. We don't use an English muffin or anything as the base for oh. it. It's uh, we use an arancini that changes okay. um, periodically as the base. Uh, so we basically instead of doing a ball for an, ar- an arancini, which is like a I fried, know, yeah, I figured you probably flatten it. Yeah, almost like shape of a hockey puck. Shape okay, and, shape oh, and awesome. size of it. Do yeah. You fi- do you fill it with anything or? Yeah. So the risotto when we cook it. Uh, Depends on what's going on seasonally. Sometimes we keep it simple and just do like a roasted garlic risotto. We'll do a butternut squash risotto, a sage risotto, uh, depending on what's happening. And then uh, we'll top that with a slice of tomato um, and uh, we'll change what the protein is instead of Canadian bacon. Like for a while we were doing some braised pork belly. Now we're doing brisket. And I love that because you go to these places and you're getting the same thing. You're getting the same three-point landing. You got to... You gotta switch it up. I yeah. love that. Yeah, you know that's 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 kind of like the fun of what uh, what the idea behind heirloom is. Is we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're right. not trying to do anything that uh, hasn't been done. There's no effort to do that. It's more so just you know looking at something and saying, is there a way that we can do this? You yeah. know, uh, to make it your own, to make it a little bit more your style without you know, flipping it completely. I'm not, I'm not the guy, not that I don't have respect for it or love it, but I'm not the guy that's going to like make a foam out of the hollandaise. <laughs> and it's great to get something different instead yeah. of the same old, same old. Yeah, you know? exactly. I love that. Yeah, and that's, you know, part of why I wanted to go into what your history and, you know, is so that people could hear like the influences because sure. the whole, you know, thing behind your inspiration of heirloom is it is like an heirloom. You are learning yeah, from other chefs. That's the and, biggest yeah, yes. credo of, of, of the name. You know, it's it's that, you know, like I said before, and I, and I kind of get repetitive with it, but the culture of cooking is equally as important as the process of cooking for me. You know, it's it's uh, it's what my whole life is, is what it is because uh, I found this this craft. And, uh, you know, like I said, I met my wife at the restaurant and not just the chefs that I've worked for. And I think every chef can tell you stories about that guy they were elbow to elbow with on the line that could make a killer family meal out of X, Y, and Z product that the chef would just throw at you. <laughs> you learn techniques from that. You know, there's there's this influence. And, and for, for me, I grew up in a very small bubble, you know, where th- our community was homogenous. It was beautiful. It's a lot like where I am now in Bucks County. But, you know, you, you, you weren't working with, with folks that lived different lifestyles. And so... When you're elbow to elbow with a South or Central American cook who's showing you a technique that you've never, ever seen or doing something with a fish collar and making a stew out of it that was just absolutely delicious, <laughs> that's something that you should be writing down and taking notes on. You know, not just what the chef of the restaurant is doing with their menu. Obviously, that's the focal point of what your experience is. But, you know, being observant of the surroundings that you're in and using that to influence you and that's what's equally as important for heirloom so uh, you know the things i do are not just influenced by the chefs that i worked for they're they're also influenced by the cooks and the dishwashers i mean i have a dishwasher now who makes every time she cooks i want to eat whatever she makes yeah you know uh, p- part of what, what what i bring in for product is to sustain whatever she wants to make and it's indigenous to where she's from and um, I think that that has an influence on, on, on what we do too. So it's, uh, it is an heirloom, I think, you know, like the, the craft of it, there's, there's only so much you can document recipes and, you know, break things down that way. Um, we're more about the, the philosophy behind what we're doing. Okay, what are we trying to achieve? How are we going to get there? The exact tablespoon measurements of everything isn't necessarily the focal point of it. It's what's the bigger picture and then break it down from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, speaking of breaking it down from there, 
Um, what broke you down to like bring you to Doylestown? Like what influenced you to position yourself? I love there? Doylestown. So do I. I. Love it. I do. I, I I love it more and more. The more time I spend, we're looking for a home right in the borough right now. We want to just have this. We want to be even more sure. localized than we <laughs> currently <laughs> take, are. Take the regional rail to yeah, the end, and you're yeah. right there in yeah. the main street. So so Doylestown. My uh, m- my father actually went to school in Doylestown, Delaware Valley College at the time. It's university now. Um, for food science. So when we were kids, uh, we would go down every couple years for, they have a festival called A-Day there, which is like a, I don't know, like a fair almost. On the, so I, I had experience with uh, the area. I'd, I'd been exposed to it when I was younger. Um, he had some family that grew up there. And then we went to, uh, I, I moved down to the Philly area um, to work for a friend of mine at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. Um, I was trying to get out of restaurants and find a new avenue. Met my wife, wanted some uh, you know, p- there's there's a lot of different outlets in this industry. There's a lot of different ways that you can uh, you can plug in and, and be a part of it. And I was in my late 20s at the time and just kind of feeling burnt out and wanted to fo- relationships are tough, you know, in this industry and wanted to focus on uh, on my relationship with my wife. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit more of a flexible lifestyle, so to speak, with country clubs as opposed to big name restaurants. And uh buddy of mine was at the Philadelphia Cricket Club as the chef he had just started and brought me down and uh one of my uh, co-workers uh got married in Doylestown and that was the first time my wife got exposed to uh we were living in Conshohocken at the time and uh oh that's a busy area yeah <laughs> oh second, yeah lots s- of restaurants <laughs> man yeah black uh what was it black bass that's there it's amazing but uh yeah, the second she set foot in Doylestown, it was like the words came out of her mouth. She said, we're going to live here someday. <laughs> and nice. so, you know, it was just kind of like it just became on our radar, you know, and we just slowly gravitated towards Doylestown until eventually we took the leap and uh, bought the restaurant. Um, that's kind of how we got there. It was just, you know, falling in love with the area and the community and the town itself. It's a really special place. And obviously, you know, I haven't been there yet, but I will sure. because, you know, I've seen some of what you've made and yeah. I'm like, I need to have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh, we, we have a we have a good friend who takes care of our social media, Aaron. She does a good job with making the food look yeah, as good it as it does. Great. God knows I'm a goofball when it comes <laughs> to being able to do that stuff. So. Yeah, just as a photographer, like like the positioning of where you actually take the <laughs> oh, photos. Oh, I'm taking cues. I, yeah. I take cues on that. I'm like, all right, so how do I take this picture? <laughs> she's telling me where to go for the best lighting because she's not there all the time. You know, she just helps us out with it. So, yeah, the food does look great. You know, that's part of the uh, that's part of the fun with it is making sure the food looks good too. You know, you eat with your eyes. Yeah. Nice. And and it's it it's so tempting to see the food, especially when it's photographed well. Yeah. And, and it then, brings people in. Yeah, and that sets this that sets the bar. You know, that's kind of what brings them in. And then the challenge and the onus is on us to make sure that we recreate it to whatever that is, because anyone can manicure the food for social media, et cetera. Um, but it takes a lot of work to make sure you consistently put it out that way. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. That consistency matters. Consistency. That's, that's the biggest, that's important to, to be successful in any craft. Um, so it's not like unique to our industry. I'm sure you guys deal with the same thing here. You, you, every day, part of being a professional is understanding the importance in the seemingly menial tasks that those are the those are the small things that make the bigger thing um, a success. Yes. Um, so that's that's the challenge every day is consistency. So what is next for you and Heirloom? Um, you know, right now um, we are focusing on the now um, because 
I don't know if you guys know this part, but uh, we bought the restaurant almost exactly one month before the pandemic. Um, we were supposed to open exactly one month after the pandemic started or the <laughs> quarantine started. So mm. the quarantine started March 13th, which coincidentally is my birthday. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so they shut everything down. And, uh, you know, one month later uh, was supposed to be our opening date, which never happened in the beginning. It was such a crazy time trying to figure out how long this was going to be. And I remember having a conversation with my wife and saying, uh, so, okay, so we won't be able to open Easter. Maybe we can do Mother's Day for an opening. Because we thought it would only yeah. be like three weeks. <laughs> Little did we know. It so, just kept going. Yeah, so what was tough in the beginning was when you're first opening a restaurant, establishing your identity sure. is, is a difficult process. Yeah. Um, and when you have to be cutting yourself up and saying, like, okay, great, we're a takeout restaurant in the beginning, and now we're going to do outdoor dining and only 25% capacity staffing is difficult so the menu is limited and yeah which dishes because it's not like we had any recall for now i could tell you which dishes we'd have to limit the menu to if we had to do it because we have a little bit of time under our belt yeah but at that time it was just like whew, man you learning know, no, curve was steep it was tough and you know not doing a soft opening and soft openings aren't just for you know the, the for a celebration of the restaurant you're you're practicing on your friends and family because you can screw up in front of them yeah sure. so we just opened the doors and got steamrolled our first day within four <laughs> hours we were shutting the doors you know? oh. we ran out of three quarters of product there was lines out the door it was uh it was insanity but uh you know to to answer your question it's the last year up until this summer was uh, there's nothing we could take away from the patterns that we were doing now that we're at a hundred percent so right now it's settling in and saying, okay, this is this is what we do, and uh, let's just go through the process of being open for a few years and you know establishing who we are, what we do, and growing um, before we think about the next step. So right now the 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 only focus is to just zero in on what we're doing and just you know uh, consistently put out the product that we're doing before we can start thinking about whatever the next thing is. Gotcha. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you. This is you know a last question before you tell everybody where to find you. Sure. Um, what would you recommend to somebody who is trying to start a business right now, given the difficulties that you faced? Like, what would be something that you would advise them to to do or try? Um, it, you mean as far as uh, someone who's looking to take the leap and and, and yeah. open something brick and mortar right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the I, I guess the only advice I could give with it is to understand that um, you're not in control of what's going on right now. And uh, to quote Bruce Lee, just be water, my friend. You know, <laughs> just kind of flow with what's happening, and hopefully you have enough, you know, time put in in your industry that you can react to what's happening with some solutions by, you know, pulling back things that you've seen and uh things that you've seen the chefs and mentors or whatever whoever your mentors are in your industry but in our industry you know it was understanding that uh you know there, there's going to be challenges and roadblocks this is obviously a really huge this is a generationally huge you know challenge for anyone opening a business but uh you know just buckle up and um you know, know that you're not going to walk in every day and be in control of what's happening. Uh, that's a good point. You can be in control of how you respond to it. That's that's the biggest piece of advice. That's I, a great I, I point. Yeah. yeah. So where can we find you online? Where can we find you to eat? <laughs> yeah, so we're at uh, www.heirloomdoylestown.com. Um, we s 
we uh, make sure that we use Doylestown in, in any tag that we have because there are a couple of Doylestown heirlooms. There's one in Jersey and there's one in Delaware, which we didn't know until after we named the restaurant. <laughs> um, actually, there used to be one in Chestnut Hill, too, I found out. Um, but uh, Um We're on Instagram, uh, Heirloom Doylestown, uh, Facebook, Heirloom Doylestown, and we're located at 54 East State Street in the borough of Doylestown. What about the phone number? Because a lot of people, it's easy to... <laughs> Put me on the spot. To, uh, I don't have that memorized. Uh, well, okay. While you're looking that up, what's that your up. favorite uh, dish that you're making Yeah, what's right your now? favorite dish? Favorite dish? We actually just ran a roast pork sandwich um, last week, which was... Uh, which is uh, kind of the bee's knees for me. I love it. Two six seven eight eight zero six six one zero. That's it. You nailed it. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I write. Know I write for I the terrible. restaurant. I'm the restaurant industry author. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that burger looks tremendous. Oh, the burger's the great. Crab yeah. cake looks yeah. amazing. Thanks. So Thank I you. can't wait to get. Can there. I combine the burger and the crab cake? Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? We'll give you a little side of Lipitor to go. <laughs> with too. Surf and turf. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tim. This was awesome, man. I love uh, highlighting restaurants like yours that are just kind of mixing it up, doing something different. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for coming in, and it was great meeting you. Awesome to meet you. Thanks a lot. All right, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. And we're back. Amorous Pollock, introduce your fabulous guest. Hi, I'd like to introduce all of you, all of our listeners to the amazing and talented. I went there, and this is why they're on the show. Their bakery is amazing. Both Kevin and Darren, who own Kelly's Bakery in Poughkeepsie, New York. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so, just so you know... Uh, Yes, you do do need to speak a little bit closer to the mic so our our lovely listeners can hear both of you. So you also brought your barista, Joanne, who I definitely have tried one of her lattes as well. So it's amazing. Um, Welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the... Because you are like well-versed in the culinary world. I saw your resume. You know, you started out um, in like learning in the Culinary Institute of America and moved under like some well-known restaurants that are in your area. So why don't you tell us a little bit of a, your history? Yeah. I actually started uh, Le Cordon Bleu first, like doing culinary in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, actually, uh, it wasn't planned. I was trying to be rebel with my family because they wanted me to go to business school. But I'm like, I'm going to do something different, something that I want to try. So I ended up going to Le Cordon Bleu in uh, California for one and a half years. I did my associate in culinary. And then after that, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to try something different also. And then that's when I went to CIA in New York to do my pastry. Ever since then, I'm like, oh, this is actually so much more fun. Like, uh, and then I decided uh, I want to go around the States to kind of learn from different chefs. My very first internship was at Qua with uh, Chef Nick Munsi. It's one of the 
best pastry chef I think out there that like I'm I, I'm really grateful I got the chance to learn from him and then I move on to Blue Hill for about a year or so I was working with the chef there also chef Bobby <laughs> yeah, he actually opened his own bakery also in Chicago oh that's yes <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting and then after that after I get some more exposure I decided I want to do something different again and I moved to Boston to work at this encounter there was this uh, couple that uh, uh, owned the restaurant. It's a very small tasting menu restaurant. I started that actually as just a uh, just helping out. I was I was bored. I don't I don't really want to do anything specific at the moment. So I was just helping them out. And then they promoted me to the pastry chef when the pastry chef left. And then after that, we were just kind of hanging out. Uh, I was there for three years or so. Mm-hmm. And towards the last year, our CDC left, and I actually stepped in to kind of manage to t- uh, help out like manage a team while th- while he was gone and after that here we are in Poughkeepsie we're opening in our own bakery with my husband yeah now <laughs> along the way when did the two of you meet um because I obviously there's an influence um on both your parts mm-hmm. for Kelly's bakery um which for our listeners and for everybody who's watching on Facebook Live right now, I love the fact that you're you named your bakery after your dog. <laughs> it's funny because like uh, back at school, they always have this project of like designing, I'm um, like planning uh, your future restaurant or something like that. We like when I look back on all of the stuff that I make, I'm like, oh my god, all of these names are so lame. I'm like, what was I even thinking at school? And then we were just like, I don't even know what's the name. And I just like, oh, what do you think? Like Kelly's Bakery sounds cute. And then I'm like, and then we just look at our dog. Like at first we we're like, oh, people's gonna think we're like an Irish pup or something like that because of like <laughs> Kelly's. I'm like, uh, and then he, I, he thought I was kidding at first. He was just like laughing and just like smirking. I'm like, uh. and then I'm I'm the type of person if somebody smirk at my idea, I'm just like, I'm, I'm gonna do it instead. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I have to say, when when I did enter, I was like looking for a Kelly. I like when I entered in, I was oh, like, yeah. oh no, that's not the owner. So it was like my brain was like, Phew. but I love. I mean, I love animals, so it's it's a cute idea, and I love that. When did you guys meet, and you know, how did you get acclimated to the culinary world? We actually met when I was in school, right? Yeah, but just, just before you graduate. Yeah, just before uh, I graduate my social degree when I start my bachelor at CIA. We met there and then we did a little bit long distance when I was uh, going uh, to farm to table program CIA in uh, California in Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. I was there about six months and then I came back. Then we decided to move. Uh, that's after that, after I graduate bachelor, I go to Blue Hill and then Boston after that together with him. Aww. <laughs> And then move back here or to Poughkeepsie. The plan yes. was always to come back to Poughkeepsie, and do some and do something in that world. Um, and it's funny that you say acclimated. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you run front of house with him. Yes. The funny thing, this is actually his very first restaurant experience. Yeah. Like <laughs> he never worked at a restaurant before. I know you have more of a financial background, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, I do have strong people skills, but I don't necessarily have the service delivery. But I'm, I'm working on it because the personality, I guess, makes up for it. 
Yeah. It, but, and you did actually, you were part of what inspired the whole Kelly's Bakery thing because of the fact that you were, you know, playing around in your kitchen, I think, you know, during quarantine and everybody was making bread. But, you know, you have the added benefit of being a chef. So, yeah. you you know, take it up a notch. But, <laughs> but then you came up with the idea of selling it online through, ironically, Facebook. Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would snarky posts. You know, this is my day. Help somebody rescue me. <laughs> and then people started, um, I need that. I want that. I have to have that. So then it was like, you know, like, let's try this. And we posted a couple loaves of bread. And then the, like, I get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one that I was pushing. I'm the type, like, I'm actually just start doing sourdough about like a year ago and stuff during the pandemic. My background is more like a plated dessert. So this is what excites me. It's like I'm learning something new every day. I'm actually, during the pandemic when I was studying, I literally call my baker friend. They, they used to be the head baker at Blue Hill. Like <laughs> literally every day, I'm like, what's wrong with this? I'm like, I'm like, I literally like every day, I'm like, help me. I'm like, he's like my online teacher, pretty much like teaching me how to make bread. Adam Tan? <laughs> yes, <Okay>. correct. <laughs> I did a little bit of research. <laughs> wow. I've been trying to make him. I'm like, come help me. I'm like, work here instead. It's like, too bad he lived like a little bit too far. Like, mm -hmm. I would love to bring him because he's like, like, I, I think he's I'm, a master. I think I'm getting there. But like, he's like on a whole new level. I was like, if okay, if you're saying you think you're getting there, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, because you work for them, Absolutely. like any any of the breads and the muffins, the scones and stuff like that that you offer, like, I had just your bread, and I swear to God, my family, because I brought it to to Vermont during Thanksgiving or not Thanksgiving, I'm um, sorry the um labor day weekend yeah and uh if everyone went nuts over it it's the uh, jalapeno and cheddar rustic bread which i also made you bring some again <laughs> but um everyone went nuts over it it's just one loaf of bread and it's so delicious with the crispy outside and i i almost want to grab it like and show people right now but um you know you also brought some banana bread yes. in here for us <laughs> Um, which I'm excited about. So I like to eat healthy. <laughs> I like to eat healthy. So it's good you brought banana bread. <laughs> and I mean, okay, so I'm, I like feel like I'm talking for you because <laughs> I'm so excited about your stuff. Um, but like you also want to make everything inclusive and have it be anybody who, you know, has any dietary restrictions they can walk in and you put a lot yeah. of flavor into your food. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Like a lot of the stuff that we have, I actually don't like eating sweet. Like, I, I don't, so anything that we make in the house, like, I don't want it to be overly sweet. Like, anything, it's made from scratch. Like, our croissant, a lot of people, when they come, it's like, oh, where did you get your pastries? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, here. I guess, like, there's so many, like, uh, bakery these days that they just, like, get their pastry somewhere else, and then they just preheat it. Yeah. Like, basically. I, I had no idea. Sorry. I had no idea that that was a thing. So, like, when we started open and people started coming in and they hand me like these brochures or pamphlets and I was like what is this you know like oh we're a par baked distributor and I just kind of like you know in the years that I've been with him I, I never heard of a par bake distributor so it was just like really weird to hear that like people actually buy pre frozen yeah. pre-baked product and so so like when people would come in and ask us 
we I think we just had somebody recently um, ask our other counter help, Lori, where do you get your baked goods from? And it's just it's like to us it's like I do not smell this. <laughs> like it's it's all done downstairs. Yeah. It's literally there's a full production kitchen, and I still even all these months in walk downstairs sometimes. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, basically everything is always made fresh there. Even from our pastry to our syrup for the coffees and stuff. Our barista Joe and Brandon, which is actually our two barista at the house, they always make if a uh, lemonade always free squeeze lemon juice. We any sauce we make, it's always in the house. We don't buy any like pre-made syrups and stuff like that yes we're not gonna uh, like when they come i'm like oh i want hazelnut latte and something we don't have that kind of time because yeah. like <laughs> it's 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 tricky to make those kind of flavoring and it's it's like yes you, you will taste hazelnut but it's not really natural to yeah. you kind of thing so we always try to make sure that we keep up with the season and stuff like that everything is always fresh because by the end of the day we actually donate all of our leftover to local hospital, to firehouse, to a shelter. Mm -hmm. So basically, every time you come to the bakery, it's always fresh pastries. It's not something from the day before and stuff like that. We always try to make sure that we we try to serve as the best product as we can to our guests. Which is amazing. And you locally source everything, if I remember our, from our first conversation when I met you. We're going to that direction. We Right now, we just uh, there's a very first roaster in Poughkeepsie that we just switch our espresso to. And we talked to uh, a new farm hub, which is uh, uh, like uh, they start growing their own uh, local wheat to, uh, to the region. We're trying to get them uh, like once they're ready because they have a mill. Uh, they're actually planning to build their own milling okay. uh, spot also. So they're pl uh, they will be milling their own flour there. And we hope like down the line when I'm ready to that point, uh, I will be able to um, integrate more. that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm gonna hop over to Joanne. Now he's saying that you guys are gonna lo um, switch to a local roaster. Are you? How much are you going to like go there, sip, and say like this needs to roast longer, or can you infuse? So we actually already made the switch to a local roaster. Um, we source our beans from North River Roasters for our espresso machine. Um, so any sort of lattes or americanos or anything that you would make from an espresso machine is sourced from them. Uh, right now, we use a blend from South America. Um, it's very kind of nutty and complex. It's got an interesting flavor profile. Um, the tasting kind of comes in more for our drip. Um, there's a variety of options out there, and I'm a really big fan of light roasts. Um, so right now, we're in the process of like looking at different roasters in the area um, and just kind of tasting them as a team. And then once we come to kind of a conclusion as a team, what we prefer, that's when we're going to make a trip um, to those roasteries and really kind of discuss options and expand our menu. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. That is exciting. Yeah. Um, now, I know that obviously you guys are tasting it, but one of the things that I that some of the local um, coffee houses that are in Philadelphia do is they do actually do tastings like almost like a flight of coffee. Um, would you ever consider doing that? We're actually thinking doing like a rotated and like a pour over coffee as well like that for our guests. Especially yeah. now it's getting colder. So I think more people would like to enjoy like coffee. They just sit down in one of our corner at the bakery. They sing yeah. any of our coffee that the, our barista kind of 
want to show to them kind of thing. So when I came on the team uh, four months ago, one of the things that I was discussing was that we have these fantastic baked goods, right? Kelly's Bakery is amazing. And um, I just thought it would be really great to kind of elevate the coffee program to that level. So I think the next like natural step would be uh, pour overs and other kind of, um, I don't know, tasting options. Uh, we're seeing a lot of people who are just extremely interested in, you know, what we're doing with the coffee program. So I think kind of riding off of what the customers want and just kind of taking it where it needs to go naturally is is going to be really exciting. We're yeah. actually pretty surprised uh, about how open-minded people with the flavors that we came out with. Uh, I think in the beginning we did a roasted beet latte. Mm-hmm. Like for him, just we just actually have excess leftover of beet syrup from caramelizing beets, mm-hmm. and we used that as a flavoring oh, wow. for the latte. It's neat. And then I thought I'm, I thought at first I'm like oh, I don't think people will try this. And then oh no, like it's the, so good. <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah, the funny thing, two months later I'm like, oh, do you still have that beet latte? I'm like, <laughs> that's like last last season. I'm like, we, they 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 would think like we always have the flavor. I'm like, that's what. We, we're trying to tell them, I'm like, uh, we want for you to, like, every time you come here, you will see something different according to the season. They're right now working with, like, a spice. Uh, a sp- you, you could tell about it. <laughs> yeah, so we have um, two different specials that we're, we're working on right now. One is, like, specifically for, like, the Halloween season. So it's, it's a salted caramel, but what we do is we um, infuse it with activated charcoal. Okay. So the latte is, like, this deep kind of black color and so when you do the latte art it's just kind of like this spooky fun beverage oh, wow. yeah it's really cool and then the we, iced version is actually really cool because yeah. it's poured into a clear plastic glass mm-hmm. and when you see the charcoal it really it's it's like tendrils like these that? black tendrils oh, that kind really of cool. float yes. through and then we allow the customer to mix it themselves because typically we mix all of the beverages nice. kind of to completion but that one's just kind of a fun interactive beverage and then the other one that we're working on, which I think will run through the winter, is um, inspired by uh, Mexican hot chocolate Ooh. and like mole. Um, so it's a blend of spices, um, some of which are kind of unexpected, uh, including cumin and smoked paprika. Yeah. Um, and so we toast the spices ourselves and then we blend it together. It's a labor of love. And then we mix it with um, our house made chocolate sauce. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. I love a good Mexican hot chocolate. I like, do too. Yeah. Oh. Especially because the profile is so, like, it at the heat in it adds a different profile to and, it. It's not just sweet. And when I find a bakery that does a good Mexican hot chocolate, I stick with it. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's something unique. One you time know? Delafield. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, like, kind of warming and soothing beverage. I, I like to it. call it sweet heat because it does have some, some yeah. cayenne in it. So it's it does have a little bit of, a, a, like, a warm finish kind of on the, on the back end. But it doesn't overwhelm your palate because, of course, the whole point of coming to Kelly's sure. Bakery is to enjoy the pastries. So you yeah. don't want to... Ruin your palate with a with a drink. I Absolutely. well yes, but also you know it's a it's a good like tasting note because you could get something like the Mexican hot chocolate and pair it with my favorite bread. <laughs> 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 oh, that's absolutely yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, because yeah. you get the spice from the jalapenos and it's kind of more on the savory end. Yeah, and, and I just wanted to tell our listeners one hundred three point seven FM WMLD. We are strong in uh, Poughkeepsie. We have a lot of listeners. Uh, talk about the neighborhood. Talk about your customers. Oh my God, the neighborhood—it's amazing. Like 
I wasn't grow, uh, I wasn't raised there. My husband is actually born and raised. Okay. So I didn't really have any clear expectation on like how it is. Like I wasn't sure in the beginning just because it, it's, I, I don't know how it is. But literally the first week we opened, there's so much support from the community. There's a local bakery down the street. It's in a uh, Tillin Pizza Shop like, called La Deliciosa. The owner stopped by to our bakery. I'm like, oh, let us know if you need help. I'm like, what? Is, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm like, instead of like looking at us. That's a great yeah, sense exactly, of community. Instead, instead of looking at us as like competition, they're like, oh, if you need help, just let us know. I'm like, that's that's amazing. There's a lot of other places. I'm like, oh, we would like to like show some of your stuff. If you like want you able to start extending your program. Like uh, awesome. get selling it at their place. I'm like, <laughs> and that's what yeah. I was wondering, like, because you guys are so good at what you do. Have you been, you know, contacted to like bring some of your your where not par baked, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but some of your wares to local um, restaurants or whatnot so that they can yes. highlight we, it. And we've uh, our success is really beyond expectation. Um, in the short time that we've the short time that we've been. It really has exceeded whatever we could have imagined. Um, we have people. We've done donations, um, baked good donations. Not like people come in like, "Hey, I need a hundred dollars." People right. are like, "Hey, <laughs> would you donate twenty six yeah, baguettes?" We did baguettes, like for uh, like a soup cherry and stuff like that. Is that um? Because I saw that you've been working with uh, Project Angel Food and Someone Care Soup Kitchen. That was uh, when I was in California. Yes. Oh, okay. So, because that that's on your LinkedIn profile, and that's I was awesome. like, I wanted to ask about that, and if you guys did anything like that around we, here. We've recently um, connected with Duchess Outreach, and they have an incredible soup kitchen in the city of Poughkeepsie. Um, and um, Amy is her name. She's so like whenever I text her and say, "Hey, I have end of day," her gratitude is just, you know, it it almost makes me like, you know, I want to create more end of day for you. <laughs> um, but we that is, you know, I, I tease my staff, you know, I want you guys to do a drop for end of day because we go, we have a hospital up the hill from us, and when we drop to them on Sundays, you know, I'm walking to an emergency room, and they're, you know. Their enthusiasm to see me, you know, and I'm like, I'm just bringing end of day bread. I was like, if you're bringing food, <laughs> that just puts like everybody yeah. with like. The they gl- literally start yelling <laughs> Kelly's as you're walking, you know, and I'm like, it's just, <laughs> it's just end of day baked goods, but you're welcome. <laughs> but it, it is, it is, you know, like, like I want them to, I want you to feel like what we're doing. Sure. You know, and it's. And he's not Kelly, by the way. <laughs> yes, he's not Kelly. Kelly is your little Pomeranian, right? Uh, <laughs> Speaking to yeah. community as well, one of my favorite things is that we do have people who will um, uh, offer money to like a community mm-hmm. fund. So if someone comes in and they're short on cash or maybe something goes wrong with their card or they just don't have the funds and they want to try something, we have this available and you know we have access to it to be able to like Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's nice. really great. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. Yeah. What would be a favorite for all of you guys? Um, a favorite latte. Me? Yeah. Um, so I'm like actually when it comes to coffee, I keep it pretty simple. Um, I really like cortados or short lattes. So it's basically just um, espresso with really well steamed milk and it's um equal parts 
um, just keep it really simple. I like to taste the espresso and, and just enjoy it. That's nice. Yeah. And then are you two creating any new um, rustic breads or any new pastries? In this, uh, I think this uh, coming holiday season, we're trying to do almost like, a, you know, panettone. Like yes. inside that, we're trying to do that in a sourdough form. So basically putting almost like a dried fruits and nuts inside inside the bread. So it's not really panettone. It's more like a cheat version of it, I guess. Like we're just like trying to do like something fun. Like we, we like to change up the flavor and stuff like that. Uh, I think we tried it before during the pandemic at home, just something fun. Like we, I put dried fruits and stuff. When you actually heat it up, it almost tastes like a preserve like sometimes. It, it's... Yeah, it's there's a lot of times Kevin's like, hey, I want to try this. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I do. I do a lot of weird no. stuff. Yeah. No, not that. <laughs> I remember when we we're in Boston, we do uh, kind of like a foraging dinner. So basically everything that we make is foraged from the wild. Oh, wow. And then there was this fall. Literally, I came to our forage. I'm like, oh, so what do you have me for pastry? And it's like, not really that much. I have fall leaves if you want he was like kidding like literally like <laughs> falling leaves on the floor i'm like i'm like i guess if you don't have anything else i'll take it <laughs> i actually make that into an ice cream i roast uh oh. like uh there's basically those oak leaves and stuff and they actually taste like tea and then i make this little cookie on top of it that i cut out with the stencil that i make myself of the shape of the leaf and then i hide the the cookies between like a tray of leaves and stuff like that as I bring it, as I bring the ice cream to the table for the guests, I picked out one of these leaves and then just like get, put it on top of the ice cream. Mm -hmm. And they're like just staring. I'm like, do you expect us to eat th this leaf? I'm like, no, that's actually a cookie. <laughs> like I like trying play like with different stuff like people don't expect. I think food should be something that you just don't eat blindly. It's something should be like interactive and fun sometimes maybe make you think about it before yeah. eating it stimulating oh, he he one night said um i want to make hay ice cream <laughs> which i did <laughs> i was like but i i assumed so after like the leaf thing <laughs> yeah. i like to burn a lot of stuff not not in a bad way <laughs> but like i don't know why like i roast a lot of weird stuff that like i burn cinnamon i roast Hey, I roast a lot of stuff. You don't know if it's going to taste exactly. good if you don't try it. Correct. Yeah. And it tastes good. Yeah. My favorite ice, actual ice cream that he makes is parsnip. Oh, nice. Right. Oh, okay. Huh. That sounds parsnip good. Parsnip ice cream. It's, it's pretty simple. Deli <laughs> it's delicious. As simple as he says it is, it's still like, that sounds good. I want more of this. How about that? Yeah. Okay, now speaking of wanting more of this, where can our listeners find you online, in in store? Um, social media. And yeah. social media. So our social media is Kelly's Bakery PK. Uh, it's K-E-L-L-Y-S Bakery PK. Uh, and then our website is actually just the same one, but with .com at the end. We are located in Poughkeepsie, New York, 110C Delafield Street. Just next to Cosimo's restaurant. It's like a, a nice big Italian restaurant. And our listeners in Poughkeepsie are listening to you right now at lunchtime on Friday. So that's great. We look forward to see you guys if you hear this. <laughs> great. <laughs> um, thank you for joining our show. And I will, when I go back to Poughkeepsie, because I, I plan to, I will see you again absolutely <laughs> and great. i will be hitting you for some coffee <laughs> i'm gonna make you that spice mocha yeah. oh wow i That's would love great. that <laughs>
All right. Uh, Philly Restaurant Reviews with an S.com for more information on the show. Amorous Pollock. You can find me at Amorous Pollock or AR Pollockus. And you can find Gene Bloom at Gene Blum or IBFoodie2 or email him directly at IBFoodie2 at yahoo.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, that was great. Thank you. Oh, my God. Holy yes.